give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft hands? After a long month hiatus, your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. It's the NBA Draft Show on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. My name is Corey Tulliba, and I'm here, finally, back with my co-host, Albert. Garbage time. Gim, Albert, what is going on, my man? Uh, a lot is going on. Um, today, it's been a really fun and interesting time for us at No Ceilings NBA. We've, uh, we're introducing new people and new pieces and new everything, our... Our own pod here has gotten a facelift here. We got a new intro video and we've got a new, we've got some new branding. A lot's going on, Corey. I tried to prepare myself for this pod and for this new season by watching The Wolf of Wall Street recently. And mm. I feel amped up and I feel like it was the right thing to do. Um, I feel like we're back. It's been crazy. We haven't recorded in like four or five weeks. Um, I was telling Corey, I was texting Corey the other day. I was like, we went on our bill simmons summer vacation is what it is you know and now we're back and ready to get crazy so um it feels good i'm excited yeah i uh i moved and uh, apparently that there's a lot more that goes into that than i had anticipated so <laughs> we're we're doing makeshift uh podcasting on my end i mean i have my whole setup but i'm in my kitchen uh that's why my lighting is is all jacked up but uh eventually my new office is gonna be alive and well and and we're gonna be flying once we get into mid-season form here but look man i'm excited just to talk hoops in general with you since it's been a while you know we're texting and, and whatnot but to actually sit and watch film and break down this this class because the last time we talked we didn't have actual game film yeah and now we do now we have game film for these guys which is really really exciting so uh, we're going to cover two potential top five picks in the 2024 NBA draft today in uh, Perth's Alex Sar and the G League Ignite's Mattis Buzella. So, Albert, I'm going to give you the opportunity to decide who uh, we cover first, because I think, you know, we could have a lengthy discussion on, you know, either one of these guys. Um, yeah, this is actually a tough one, uh, just because I feel differently about both guys. But I think um, I think starting with Alexander Saar is fun, and I think uh, we should start with some fun. We've been gone for a long time. We most certainly have. Um, Saar was super interesting mm -hmm. uh, as a prospect for me because this is a guy that I was skeptical about um, heading into the year, if we're going to be completely honest. Um, he was a guy that I got an opportunity to watch live uh, a few times last year when he was down with the overtime elite. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where that impression that I got, it was just, I felt like this was a kid that, you know, was, was pretty far away. Um, and so when he was getting certain expectations on him as this potential number one overall pick, top five guy, I was just like, I need to see it, you know, before I can get on board with that. Because what I had seen previously 
I just, I, I, I was like, look, if somebody else wants to take a shot, go get it right. Like, you know, get after it. He just might not be for me, but almost immediately, right. In these G league ignite showcase games, it was like, okay, he has taken a major, major, major lead. Um, because the tools were always there. Like, yeah. like, that much was apparent. He is a totally dude, dude. Uh, um, clearly impacting even in multitude of ways. The question was like, was he actually going to impact the game, or was he going to be more so a guy like Mo Bamba, who who looked like he had all the tools, but was really much more flash than substance. And and I like Bamba, you know. Yeah. So having um, kind of gotten burned on that end, you know, I felt like, um, you know, I was a little hesitant. Yeah. Uh, Corey, I, actually, I think we might have to check your audio. Seems like it's coming in staticky. I don't know if it's the input. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm in, oh, I am in, an, now. I'm in an echoey room. Um, <laughs> and do I sound okay now? Uh, not, and it came back again. Hmm. I wonder what it is. Um, but in the meantime, I, I can't talk about, um, Alexander Starr, dude. I, I think what you're talking about, right. The, what we saw initially from the exhibitions, uh, there was a lot to like, uh, a lot to get excited by, um, a lot to, I, I think Corey, I think where you were going with, um, that monologue was that I think it seems like you changed your mind a little bit. Um, and it seems like, uh, he may have, um, kind of turn the tides a little bit in terms of how you feel about his game and how you feel about, you know, his future, because um, he put on quite the display, dude, uh, being there in, uh, in Nevada. I, I feel like he was really able to show off uh, a lot on both ends of the floor. Obviously we're going to get into the nitty gritty, uh, the more detailed breakdown of his offense and defense. But I, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me, Corey, was the kind of the attitude uh, the ferocity that he played with, it, it seemed like he knew what the moment meant and it seemed like he wasn't afraid and wasn't ready to, wasn't going to back down to anybody. Kind of like what we saw with Scoot last year when uh, Victor uh, rolled up, but kind of like um, switching places, right? Um, it, it just felt like Sar was like, here, I'm going to come out. I'm going to show out. I'm not going to be afraid of anybody. He had a couple tense moments with uh, Ron Holland, um, after that huge block that, that that clip that you showed, he kind of stood over him, gave him a look. Uh, there was another possession where, um, you know, Sar was kind of guarding him one on one, on one kind of put him in jail, to be honest, and, you know, clapping in his face. And there was like an, an attitude to him that I really enjoyed and that um, I, I think was a a good precursor to, you know, what we'll be watching, you know, in terms of his play throughout the NBL season, kind of seeing how he progresses, but also keeping that same energy and intensity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, I, I feel like we should start on the defensive end, yeah. right? Uh, and, and you mentioned the clip where he clamps Ron Holland and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm going to pull that up right now because uh, you know that uh, that clearly made the rounds and it um it was a clip in which he really you know he didn't get a counting stat off of it it was mm -hmm. just like ron holland can't do anything right now he is just you know like yeah he's in he's like you said he's in jail with him man and yeah. 
And the fact that, you know, Holland is six, seven, six, eight in that range and SAR is seven, one, and he is sliding stride for stride for stride with him. You can start talking to yourself that this guy's defensive potential and, and the versatility that he has shown, not only as a, a rim protector, which we'll show, but just as a switchable guy on a guy who might also be the number one pick and in, in a potential go-to scoring option at some point down the line. The, the fact that he can clamp those guys up too. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly impressive skill set. No, I'm with you, man. To be as large, as tall as he is, to be sliding his feet, staying in front of him like that. I also thought it was hilarious that throughout the broadcast, they kept uh, comparing him. They kept comparing Ron Holland to, uh, Russell Westbrook, and I was really confused by that comparison, listening to that 12 times throughout the broadcast. Um, but, you know, to watch Sar slide his feet, stay in front, you know, switching hips, um, using his length uh, as a threat as well, like all of that was so intriguing to watch and really makes you think, like you said, Corey, like the the impact that he can bring, both as a rim protector and a guy who can switch out and, and guard smaller guys. Obviously, I don't think either one of us are saying that he's going to be guarding point guards full time. But if you can do it in a pinch, uh, if you could do it off a switch and cause problems like he did against Ron Holland there, that's the type of stuff that NBA front 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 office guys are going to watch that clip and be like, cool. So we know he can do that. Um, let's just add on top of that. So ultimately, when you're looking at prospects, and I've been thinking about that a lot during our break, Corey, like thinking about how we view prospects and all that stuff. Like sometimes it's, although we're called no ceilings and we're looking at what these players can become, it is also really important to establish and to have a clear understanding of what their floors look like as well. And I think that clip right there does establish that Sar has some stuff to him defensively that uh, makes his floor even really interesting. Yeah. And look, I, I think the defense was always kind of the safest thing just because, you know, even in, in this clip where he's one-on-one with Holland um, and this time Holland's going to get the shot off, even in this clip, like Holland's able to stop on a dime and Sar is kind of backpedaling, right? But he's still able to recover because of those tools. And when you have those tools, I think, you know, you can get by with coming along a little bit slower. Um, the thing is, it it feels like every game he's getting better, you know, and uh, that's the thing that's that's really, really, really in, encouraging. Um, you know, I think that you could put him in any kind of uh, scheme and he's going to find a way to contribute, whether it is, you know, forcing guys to move off the ball, whether it's, you know, uh, blocking guys shots or, or just being a rim deterrent, you know, whatever the case is, you know, I, it just feels like, you know, here he comes out of nowhere to get <laughs> Bazellus at the rim. And then he stuffs him a second time on the cut there. Uh, I mean, that's just really, really fun stuff. Like, and, you know, we're going to talk about Mattis and some of the issues he has as a rim finisher, but, the, the fact that this guy can just patrol the paint, roam around, he has the wherewithal to see his man, see the ball, and then ultimately come over, see where it's going, quick second jump. It's just really fun. And I'm with you, Corey. I think fun is the right word. And I think a lot of um, scouts and front office execs and coaches that are watching this type of film, I, I think they'll feel exactly the same. I think they'll be like, holy crap, this kid looks like a lot of fun. You start kind of you know you see a player like this with that type of 
fluidity uh, as an athlete with those type of instincts and um, athletic ability as well, you, you start to start licking your lips, you know, you start going, damn, like, what can we, and of course, like, all coaches believe in their um, developmental ability, right? You start to wonder, like, okay, what can we do with a kid like this? You know, how much more can he grow? How much more can he uh, blossom into an absolutely terrifying defender? And it's hard not to watch these types of clips and go, like, wow, like, beyond just the impact, right? Like, once again, like, Corey, like you mentioned, it's just fun to think about what he can become. And then we see a clip like this where he's flying out to the three-point line, just deterring shots. And and as we know, and Corey, like you talk about all the time when we're talking about impact on defense, uh, it's not always accounting stats. And even before when he locked up Ron Holland like that, didn't get any type of stat at all for that. But it's the impact that you make. It's the influence that you have. It's, you know, that second thought that you put into an offensive player because of what you're capable of. And I think that's the type of stuff that really gets you excited about a guy like Alexander Saar. Yeah. And I mean, I literally, I, I can't, I, I don't, can't remember a guy that I've done a 180 on any more than Sar. Um, you know, I remember, um, you know, a, fr- a friend of the show, Bryce Simon, who is, you know, new co host for uh, San Vicini in the game theory podcast. Right. You know, he was texting me about Sar. He was so excited about him. And, and just based on what I had seen last year, I was like, um, yeah, man, like, I don't know he's not for me. Like, I think he's really far away and like, I get it. Like I really do. Um, but the game moved so fast and it seems like now the game is slowed down for him. Mm -hmm. And when you add in the fact that now he's starting to process things on both ends, um, at a much quicker rate. And then you freeze this right here. Okay. And then you add on the tools. When we talk about tools, look at this. Yeah. He's at the free throw line. He's at the free throw line with his hand down in this clip, man. And he not only gets a shot contest here on a guy who is mid shot, yeah. you know, he gets a piece. Yeah. It looks, you know, and like that is crazy, crazy stuff, man. Like that is a real deal, impactful shot contest. And look, it's a seven point game with 50 seconds left, but like, it's still a game. It's not as if the game is completely over at that point. He is, um, he just, he's got a knack for, for really altering things. And, you know, I, I, it's valuable, man. It's, it's really valuable for, for how the NBA is played at this point. No, I'm with you, man. I mean, there used to be a time where we were amazed by James White taking off from the free throw line and doing amazing dunks. And now we're getting the opposite, right? We're getting guys flying out from there to block shots or, um, you know, digging on all kinds of stuff, man, defensively. And I think with SAR, I'm with you, Corey. It's we, we we just have to keep nailing home the point that it's a lot of fun. And to think that the season is just starting now and we're already getting these types of flashes and this type of production from him down there uh, in the NBL and to think about what he's going to look like by the end of the season. And then he'll probably come over for the combine and do all kinds of stuff over there. And I, I just and also, you know, he's a French guy who knows you might really impress during those uh, <laughs> during those meetings and people might really fall in love with his character and all that stuff. I, there's so much to be excited by. And I think, you know, defensively this along with the rebounding um and you know the type of impact he can have uh you know just cleaning up the boards and being just intimidated and, and like even going back Corey, to the um the clips you posted with uh him in holland just like his presence 
like he was like all over him and just like it just felt like he was towering over him and almost taunting him with his presence and i think that's the type of stuff that gets you thinking nah, i'm not gonna give i'm not gonna say it's like a one-for-one comparison but those are the types of moments and that's the type of attitude that gets you thinking like oh could this guy be like a kg type of defender one day i'm not saying that he will be but um i i think the biggest thing that stuck out to me once again is like that that ferocity that he played with and then you obviously go back to everything you've talked about right with the ability and the instincts or whatever it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot to get excited about now like you mentioned kg and you know, it sounds on the surface like blasphemous. And don't get me wrong, Kevin Garnett, yeah, putting yeah. those kind of expectations on sure. any player is blasphemous to a mm-hmm. point. But, I mean, this is a kid who's raw, he's skinny, but he has something special about him defensively in, you know, in following suit with the bigs that we've seen in the last, what, this will be four in a row now with with Mobley, Chet, uh, Wimbanyama, and now yeah. Sar. Like, you know, I mean, this kind of, of archetype of player is something that every team is going to covet. And if, if Sark, he's having the season he's having, like he is going to end up being picked in the top three, like based on the most recent history, because he offers things at that position that nobody else does as, you know, a guy who you go, Hey, maybe this guy could win a defensive player of the year award, you know, at, at some point. No, Corey, I'm with you. And I think I love what uh, Breaking the Game just said in, in our comment section, right? Um, he said, I, I think how he moves is so important. He just looks like an NBA big. Reminds me of AD just in how he moves, not the handle. And I and I agree with that. That's something that I wrote in my notes, too. I think it's almost jarring to see how fluid he is as an athlete. He he, he genuinely looks really comfortable moving around. And I And I also felt like just how fluid he moves and how quick he moves for his size and how like functional it all looks like I thought that in itself also looked pretty intimidating. Like when we think back to like, you know, as you mentioned, right, Mobley, Chet, Victor, all of them, when you see them moving around the court the way that they do at their size, all that stuff is like really jacked up. It's like you look at these guys and you're just like, how is it possible that you're that big and you move around like this? And I think, Sar kind of has that factor to him as well. I, I I love that point, right? Like I think the fluidity is kind of a part of his game and I think is really important. I think also, you know, I've always been kind of like a body type guy and I, I think he's like really proportionate um, other than like his really long arms. Like his body just looks really proportionate as well. He uses it well. It looks really good and fluid. It's a lot to like. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, you know, you talk about like watching somebody like that size move around and I think one of the things that maybe gave me like kind of you know some issues um in star the the player and I think it more so reared its head on the offensive end than the defensive end but like the first time I saw him was on a high school court and he is so large and so long and the guys that you know were were playing in the games are so large and so long that sometimes, you know, maybe the the fact that a high school court isn't as large as a normal professional size court mm-hmm. that they're playing on, that it, it maybe kind of hurts them a little bit because, yeah, maybe they can recover to certain spots defensively, but, like, on the other end, maybe it also, like, it gets in their way, mm. you know? So um, I, I think just thinking that's something that I've, I've tried to keep in mind, but 
look, he's not perfect either yeah. defensively. Like he's still got areas to improve on. Um, you know, I, I think like here is a good example of, you know, he's not really being physical with Bobby Clintman on the drive here. And uh, basically anytime anyone's been physical with Clintman on a drive, he's coughed the ball up or like lost control of it um, so far in the NBL season. Like he's not physically strong enough. And this is just two guys who neither one of them have the strength to or like the wherewithal to like kind of body up and body up here. Like I do think there is almost like, a finesse to how Sar defends. Like mm. he can close space really well and use his length, but he doesn't really body up on the move. Mm. And I don't know if that's super important for him. Cause I think mostly, you know, he'll be playing out in a drop and playing cat and mouse, or maybe he'll be switchable and trying to force guys into uh, outside shots. But, you know, I, I think it's hard for somebody his size to like, when you see a ball handler who is, you know, six, nine, six, 10, like Clintman, um, you might need to bump him off his spot a little bit because that height advantage, that size advantage, isn't you know the same as it as it is on a much smaller guy. So that is something that that I notice with him, and I, I think it manifests sometimes as a rebounder too. I think sometimes when he really wants to go after a rebound, um, he gets up and he'll rip one down. But a lot of times, you know, just the avoiding kind of you know really bodying up and and trying to, you know, win like a 50-50 rebound um, without jumping higher than somebody, I think that manifests there as well. No, I'm with you, dude. Um, just watching this clip, it, it kind of just looks like he's shadowing him, um, which, you know, it, it could come from a lot of different things. I don't know. I, I was even thinking as far as, like, does it come from soccer? I don't even know if he played soccer. But, like, I know <laughs> center backs in soccer, they kind of shadow their guy, whatever. But, yeah. uh, Corey, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's – but then, then also, Corey, like, I also think that's a thing that like coaches will look at and be like, oh, I can fix that. Like, yeah, for I, sure. I can, I can make him, you know, more physical or whatever. And I think like if I, when I look at his physique and I look at, you know, his body, he is skinny now. I agree with you there. Um, but I also think, Corey, I, I think I, I don't think you don't think this, but I think he's going to put on good mass too. Like you, you look at his shoulders, you look at his overall physique, and it looks like he's going to put on some mass there and he's going to get a lot stronger. But um yeah, the physicality has to come with it. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I've been trying to think like who are kind of like his NBA doppelgangers. You know what I mean? And like when I think of guys his age, and you look at you know a guy like Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis, like they were way skinnier in their college years too. Mm -hmm. Like they have. They had excellent frames. I think their frames were at a better starting point than Sar. I think just I think their shoulders were a little broader. Um, but like the point I'm trying to make is like he's gonna get stronger. Like his body's gonna fill out. And, you know, just by way of the natural progression of his frame, like he's going to um, you know, be able to put on the the kind of weight that will help him embrace some of that physicality a little bit more. I, I think Corey, a, a guy whose frame that started off worse than Sars probably is Giannis's, right? I think. <laughs> yeah. Giannis first came in, and so yeah, I'm I'm with you, Corey. Like it's, and also you always talk about the grown man strength stuff. Like that's definitely going to come in as well. And and one last thing, like you mentioned the rebounding, I 100% agree. Like he wasn't like Paul Millsap at Louis Louisiana Tech, like just you know boxing out everyone and grabbing every single board. He is one of these guys that just like likes to jump really high and try to grab one. Um, 
but also like that's kind of the lost art right in basketball of boxing out but yeah. um yeah like it, it it's i still think he's like pretty good at it but of course he's not perfect and it's not like the old school rebounding that maybe we grew up on but um yeah he's gigantic and he's athletic so he'll he'll kind of stumble into a few <laughs> once in a while <laughs> yeah a hundred percent um now i i want to pivot uh to his his offense for a little bit and i want to go through some of the clips that from when i saw him sure at the hustle and heart classic here in new jersey and you see a clip like this i want to because i want to start with the positive stuff uh and you know you see a guy who yeah like just stands out as a natural athlete right like catching the lob throwing it down uh, monster dunk and like that's gonna make the highlight real but what what scared me about his offense is like outside of the stuff that you know i saw like in um like layup lines which which is the dunk parts were awesome but the shot was crazy his shot in game and it's you know one game or whatever here he like wasn't even close on as a shooter like but you could look at the form and be like, all right, like he looks like he's going to be a good shooter. And then the misses were so bad that I was like, it's possible like he needs glasses mm. <laughs> <laughs> or like contacts because mm-hmm. woof, you know, <laughs> like just not even close. Um, and then I saw him at the OT pro day yeah. Yeah. again. And you know, he was definitely doing some impressive stuff there again, athletically, but like, you know, the shot was much more of a idea than mm-hmm. a reality. And again, here, like, you know, he's not even getting, hitting the rim yeah. on, on this attempt. And I was like, all right, like, it's cool that he's trying to shoot threes, but like, is it something he's actually going to be able to to do in the league? Like, um, if he's getting thrown off, by five foot ten to Hod Pettiford on this contest contest here in the two three like what's going to happen with real length? Mm-hmm. So I was I was a little nervous about the offense, mm-hmm. but he's been a pretty good shooter so far. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, I, I just want to say really quick. I know I'm interrupting you, but I think it's hilarious just because like I. The Corey that I've known throughout the years is like, I feel like once you're kind of like set on a guy, it's hard to change your mind. Not that you don't change your mind, but I feel like you, because you, you really, really take a long time to decide on a guy and to to be on this podcast right now and to hear you changing your tune <laughs> live as we're recording is pretty hilarious. Oh my no, I mean, look, I, I think the guys clearly put in work. Yeah, yeah. You know, he went under the radar in the overtime elite. Uh, everybody was focused on the Thompson twins and you know, the one thing that I'll say about the overtime elite program is people can talk about it as, you know, the gameplay being awful and we sure have, (laughs) we are, you know, guilty as charged, Mm -hmm. but the actual training that these guys get, and I even think a lot of the coaching and instruction that these guys get Mm -hmm. is really, really, really high level stuff you know, and they are playing against other talented guys, you know? So it's, it's not as if they're in some rinky dink league, like they're, they're working, they're getting better every day, even if the on-court product and the, the stylistic product there 
you know, felt at times like it was more geared for social media clicks than not like behind the scenes, these guys had all the resources available to get better. And it's clear that, that SAR has because he's shooting it confidently and he's knocking down shots. So like, look, I don't know if this is going to sustain at a high level where, you know, he's going to all of a sudden be this, uh, you know, 38% three point shooter or something like I, I doubt that. Um, but he doesn't need to be that. So like, as long as he's just knocking down these pick and pop threes, uh, when he's in, in space and they look good, like that's really valuable because I think that's something that when we look at Evan Mobley, we go back to that. Like, what is the flaw in his game? That's preventing him from taking, another leap it's like he has to become uh, a guy who could space the floor a little bit especially playing with jared allen and so far he hasn't been able to do that even it looks like potentially he could it seems as if sar is showing that like he's willing to make sure that he can do that when he gets to the league Corey, i i think the most important thing that we need to kind of lock down here and you mentioned it in, pa- in Pasic as well but um whether it's the shots that we're seeing right now here on the screen or the threes that he hit during the G League Ignite exhibitions, the quality of the shot um, were excellent. And they were all off of, you know, pick and pop action with him being literally wide open and he's nailing them, right? And I think that's important. Like, I, I feel like if he's taking these shots within the flow of the offense with him being pretty open or wide open, I, I think these are good shots. And the fact that, as you mentioned, Corey, that he's working on them and that he's, you know, putting in the reps to get to a place where he's an adequate enough shooter to take these shots with the type of confidence that he has. I think that's what's most important. Even in that G league ignite game, I think it was the second game he took two in a row and he was calling for the ball and they're the same thing, just same action right here off the pick and roll. And he was just nailing them two two shots in a row. And I think that's the type of stuff where, you know, you start to get excited, right? Like that's not going to be his bread and butter, right? The bread and butter for him is going to be pick and roll, you know, him diving to the rim and them doing all kinds of fun stuff there. Maybe once in a while, throw him a paint touch, a post up for him to, you know, try to do some stuff, which we'll talk about after this, I'm sure. Um, But then also if he can throw in, you know, one, two, maybe three, three pointers like this per game and he can hit him at a good rate, then we're talking about him being, you know, like, I don't know, 17, 18 point per game scorer considering all that you know combined and i no i i agree with everything that you said and i even beyond the pick and pop i think something that he's shown a little bit like in flashes where it looks like oh this might be something he could take advantage of and then we talk about his ability to kind of attack the rim with the ball in his hands as well um he like this little fake handoff action and then if he has space he's letting it fly mm-hmm. and this seems like it's something that he's worked on it's something he feels comfortable with it's something he has the green light to take it's like okay you're not going to get up on me like i'm willing to let it fly man and he's shooting with this confidence in which i think is much different than he shot with last year last year it seemed like he was shooting because he wanted to expand that part of his game and this year it seems like he's shooting because he knows that he can make them and you know i think that that's um, a really, really awesome development for him. Now, I, I, I also, I don't want him to get shot happy mm-hmm. with the three point yeah. shot. I, I do want him to take good ones, you know, like, um, I don't want him to, to have to settle for a lot of shots. Like, you know, I mean, it's early in the game. 
early offense. He's kind of open, but like, you know, I would much rather and great box out, by the way. Let's mm. just let's go back to that that clip right here. We talk about boxing out, finds a body, Look goes after it, doesn't get the board, but his teammate does because of that box out. Great, great box out. Um, and you know, he's his teammates already in the post, so he's trying to space for him, but like, you know, we don't need that shot. My favorite, Corey, like I, I love, as you mentioned, that box out is great. I also think it's hilarious that the guy that was getting box out was just flailing, thinking like he even had a chance <laughs> to get the ball. Always hilarious stuff. But no, I'm with you, Corey. And I think, um, like I said before, I think anywhere from one to three attempts per game, more than enough. More than enough. You know, if he can be 35% on like two attempts per game, Sign me up. That's incredible. From a seven-one guy with his athletic ability and what he, you know, what he's going to be asked asked to do, you know, 80, 90% of the time. If you can hit a couple per game, one or two per game, that's more than enough, man. And that makes him that I'll I mean, straight up, that makes him terrifying, Corey. I, I really do. Like if he's gonna do that and hit that shot that you're playing right now on the screen consistently, that is a terrifying prospect and a guy that should be in my opinion, if he continues to do this in the NBL should be cementing himself in that top three conversation, like no question. Um, So I'm with you. I I think the volume is important. The quality of the shot is important and his willingness, right? Like we've seen, as you mentioned, Corey, he's not shy about it. So if he keeps taking them and then what he can do in the post and what he can do in transition, which was pretty crazy too. um, It's that's so much. it's, It's scary. It's scary, scary stuff. Yeah, and the other thing with his shot that has made me really buy into the touch, uh-huh. man, these turnaround middies, yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, this is the stuff that you're like, these are the KG shots. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, in, in this area where, oh, I got a smaller guy on me. All right, let me just smooth a little turnaround. <laughs> and this is not an aberration for him. This yeah. is, again, something that he's shooting with confidence and knocking down at like a good clip. So, you know, I I mean, he's playing with this confidence and this freedom. And I think he he touched on the fact that um he was he's being featured more now than he was in the OTE, which is interesting because the OTE, you know, is this development league that seems perfect for a guy like him to, you know, experiment like that. But it seems like this is the place that he's had that freedom and he doesn't have to second guess. And he's able to do crazy stuff like these turnaround mid-range shots, which on top of, you know, the three-point shot, you go, okay, maybe a legit shooter, <laughs> you know, and the footwork there. And the footwork. And, and Cor, can I say, like, because we've watched Victor and Chet and Mobley the last couple of seasons, I almost feel like our eyes are getting used to guys that are that gigantic that it, it they don't seem that big. But when you see Sar like in the mid post and he's like reaching out one of his ladder arms, it is pretty amazing like how gigantic he is. And so just to you know piggyback off of what you're saying, Corey, if he can do that where he's catching in that mid post area, can turn over either shoulder, hit a little mid range fade. That's like, that's really tantalizing stuff. So I, I'm with you. It, it's crazy to think that he's seven one. Even as I'm watching this clip right now, he kind of looks six nine, six ten to me. But he is actually very much that gigantic. And look at that move, dude. 
spinning yeah. over right shoulder like he missed it but the fact that he has the, the the desire and he has the the courage to even try a shot like that it's like what are we talking about yeah like it's it it looks good like he just missed exactly you know it's a tough shot like don't get me wrong he shouldn't be <laughs> shooting a ton of those yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean and um but he's confident and I, I think there's no more confident possession for him than this next one that i'm gonna uh pull it up on the screen um does a good job runs to the rim gets out in transition now he's gonna flash space the floor attack yep, yep. Oh, a little step back in the mid-range off the off the attack i mean He's he's feeling confident and he's making stuff happen and you know I can't hate on it it's it's working right now. It's just I, I'm I'm just kind of admiring the shot once again. This is this is insane, dude. And and once again seven one. Who's gonna block that shot, man? That's a really hard shot to defend at his size and with his mobility. Um, also shots to uh, shots to Perth, man. That those jerseys go crazy, man. I oh, he don't mind that at all. That's beautiful. <laughs> Got to get our hands on one of those. But um, no, I'm with you, Corey. If, if if this continues to happen, right, and we're talking about trajectory, we're talking about development, we're talking about his experience in the NBL, if he continues to work on these types of shots and he keeps taking them and he keeps making them, I just it's going to be really hard to not have him at number one by the end of all this. So that's kind of where I'm at right now, man. I Man, it's not not crazy at all because you know we talk about all this crazy stuff that he does right but what it's it's also like he has a baseline floor level of skills that makes him valuable too where it's like he doesn't have to develop a lot of that stuff because he's going to be able to do the big man stuff too like he we're watching him do all this perimeter stuff with the shooting but like he just as well is going to be able to you know be in the dunker spot put a guy on a poster you know shout out to eric micah getting in there USA team USA legend um willing to to contest that shot and he does his thing you know what I mean like he has this stuff in his bag where he's going to be able to not only you know get some of the that inefficient stuff up you know those shot attempts those hard shot attempts but also some of the stuff that is going to allow him to score efficiently too and he hasn't been the most efficient guy so Mm -hmm. far this season um, you, you definitely want to see a little bit more of this where he is running pick and roll. He is diving to the rim, even if he's not throwing down a poster, you know what I mean? He's playing a little bit like a big man here. And I think him mixing up when he's going to be a guy who dives, when he's going to be a guy who is, um, running to the rim, uh, and, and scoring at the rim, like a big, like, I, I think that's when he's going to be really effective when he's using the outside stuff as, um, you know, uh, like a real weapon instead of something he's relying on um, all the time, because I, I think he's shown real nice touch. Like this is the footwork, the touch, the extension. I mean, I want to pause the clip at the top of his um, extension here, right. Gets real good position. And then that's crazy. You know, it's, it's just a really hard shot to block because he's up in the air and then he's so long, like you're not going to get a good contest on that. And the fact that he's able to spin so smoothly, so quickly on top of how high his release is, like it's, he can get this anytime he wants. So like, I don't want him settling for that outside stuff when he could do a little bit of this too. I just want him mixing it up and and having a real variety in how he's scoring. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, Corey, I, I'm with you. And I think that's why, like, it kind of goes back to what we talked about before. Like, even just his floor is so high, right? He can do all the Tyson Chandler stuff, that young Tyson Chandler stuff that you would hope that he can do. Um, he's got great touch. You know, I, I think that that one really stuck out to me watching him. Um, I will say, though, Corey, I'm with you. Like, I, I also would like to see him take more free throws. Um, also, he's currently shooting like 52.4% from the line, which is not not great. Right. But also, like, I, I, I just like to see him get more physical, get down there a little bit more, um, you know, mix in more of the big man stuff like you just mentioned. Right. Like the shot diet, maybe a little bit less of the outside stuff, but also like we get it. And we had a you know, when we did LaMelo a couple of years back, like LaMelo did all the nasty, sloppy stuff in the NBL and got out of his system or not all out of his system. But, you know, he made a lot of mistakes and he did a lot of crazy things. And I think maybe. You know, that could be um, something that Sar kind of explores too, right? Where he tries new things and he gets aggressive with things that maybe he doesn't usually do. But it's a lot to be excited because that floor is so strong with him. You know, he's going to be able to, as you mentioned, do all the big man stuff that you're looking for him to do as, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really hope that he's allowed to attack the offensive glass because yeah. I think that quick second jump is just really beneficial for somebody like him who, who can get up off the floor and, you know, um, you know, thrive on like putback slams. Like, you know, we see there, um, we're going to see again in this clip, like, uh, the length, you know, him getting up, throwing it down, you see him, he gets amped, you know, like this is the stuff that I really want to see from him. Um, and you know, you combine it now with the fact that he can get out in transition, um, and he can, he's creating a little bit of stuff at the rim himself too. And it's like, whew, now this one got me out of my seat when I saw it, you know, it's like semi-transition, but that little pickup right there, Mm -hmm. he looks, he he must have been working with the Thompson twins because he looks like one of the Thompsons in this clip. Um, like I'm gonna pause it right when uh, let me see if I can out. get it right here in between. That's insane. Look how low he gets with this pickup mm-hmm. to keep and protect the ball. Um, and then smoothly finishes. Like he's able to decelerate there. Special man. <laughs> The first time I saw this clip, I was like, "That what is that? What are we even talking about, man? Like that that should not happen. You know, that's not a normal human thing to be that gigantic, moving at that speed, and the little in and out pound dribble gather. Just so that's sick stuff, man. Dude, like Chet and Mobley weren't doing that exactly. stuff. Oh, God, and and look, I you know it, it's going to be hard for somebody to kind of take the the chet spot in my heart yeah (laughs) you know i love chet he looked really good in in that first preseason game um but you know he's look he's got some stuff (laughs) we could play this clip just the rest of the pod and i'd be really happy with it i mean i'm with you Corey. like i i we both love chet um a guy chet a guy i got to see in person um just insane and i'm really excited for him in his rookie season but like this type of stuff like look at that dude are you kidding like what are we talking seven one dude seven one and what you talked about right with like the dexterity the fluidity the the flexibility it's just like this is crazy stuff man this is fantastic i I don't even know 
he's a um he's a really really fun prospect man and you know i'm i'm excited to see how the rest of his season goes because he started out hot and he's, he's clearly benefited um from the fact that you know this is the only basketball that we have to watch right now right like uh in but it's his play it's it's not just because we're starving and fiending for something that we're just like oh every single guy in this league is awesome which we're doing a little bit but like he's the real deal and 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 all of that um you know this guy's theoretical stuff yeah he's put into practice this year early on so it's 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 really exciting in that regard Oh, like you said, Corey, once we start seeing Zach Eady post-ups again, you know, our, our tune might change, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's fun. Hey, man. He's fun. Look, I saw Edie live. Yeah. And I was like, this is one of the craziest human beings I've ever seen <laughs> because he also moves really, really well for a guy his size. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, I saw a tweet today that some couple in Colorado uh, took a video. They think they found uh, Bigfoot walking around. I'm like, dude, not nah, Zach Eady, bro. <laughs> we already have the Bigfoot. What are we talking about? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Look, uh, I think we're excited about, about yeah. SAR. Uh, to say the least and um we've been we've been we've been going on on sar for a while and uh you know we were initially we were going to go and, and cover three guys in this breakdown um but i i hit albert up i was like i think we got to cut one of these guys because i think we're going to go a little long so um we're going to move on after this quick break to talk about somebody from the g league ignite All right, we are back, and we are here to talk about Mattis Buzelis of the G League Ignite, played his high school ball at Sunrise Christian with uh, Scotty Middleton, who we covered on the show uh, earlier in the summer. Buzelis is somebody who is coming into the season with a ton of pre uh, season height, uh, potential number one pick. I believe he was even the number one pick on one of the Gavoni draft, uh, you know, mock drafts coming into the year. So, you know, this is a guy that has a lot of really high expectations coming into the year. And he's a guy who we've seen a little bit of, and I think it's some, he's left everybody wanting more. He didn't play in the three games, uh, in the FIBA, uh, intercontinental uh, cup. So I think he had an ankle injury. So, you know, you look at his counting stats in the ignite games and you go, man, he balled out. But I think that if you watch the full games, there's a nuance there that, you know, we kind of need to break down. Yeah, Corey, I, this, so we had a lot of fun talking about Alex Sar, and I think our tune's going to change a little bit here with Buzelis. And I, I'm not trying to like, you know, preface what we're about to say by saying, you know, we're going to be all negative and whatever. I, I just don't think like he is. Um, for me, he shouldn't be in the number one com- uh, conversation. Is how I feel right now. Um, currently on my board, I have him at number 15, and that might be really low for a lot of people that are listening to this pod right now. But I feel pretty strong uh, in my conviction about it. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to have a conversation with you, Corey. Um, I actually don't know where he is on your board. Uh, so don't want to assume anything, but, um, yeah, I, I think as you mentioned, Corey, there are some aspects of his game 
that don't exactly correlate to the numbers, uh, especially, you know, counting stats and stuff like that. So uh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think I haven't, I haven't at eight right now. Sure. Um, now, I think when we did the Scotty Middleton episode that I said that Middleton was the best prospect on Sunrise Christian. Hmm. And, you know, I meant that. Uh, I've been a little bit, I, I want to say I've been lower on Buzelis, but I've been just like wait and see with him because yeah. if, if you watch the Sunrise Christian Tate, it just never popped in the way you really wanted it to. He was another guy that had a bunch of skills that you saw and was very toolsy and, um, you know, had some fun flashes of what he could be. Right. I, I think when you look at his play style as he's, you know, 6'10", maybe 6'11", 6'9", who knows? I think he's listed at 6'11". If he really is, you know, good for him. It's great, right? But he's a guy who has a smooth stroke. He has some ball skills. And, in a, you know, he's he's looked at like he has a little bit of feel mm-hmm. um, because he's shown some some passing flashes. And I think people look at him maybe and see Franz Wagner. And I can't help but think, though, that he could be the Andrea Bargnani to Franz's Dirk. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's an archetypical thing where you're like, I've, you know, I I think because Franz worked, you know, I see that too. But, you know, even Franz was a guy that people didn't expect to be as good as as he has turned into already in the league, right? Um, It's just been because, you know, so with, with, um, Buzelis now, you know, and we see something similar. I just don't want people to fall into the trap that he's the same player as Franz because he isn't. Corey, you just mentioned Andrea Bargnani. Um, in my notes, I wrote Darko. Um, the reason why I wrote Darko is because I, it's along the same line of logic as logic as you just said. Um, people have him kind of ranked at like around number one or at number one on their boards right now. If Buzelis were to go number one in this draft class, I think it could have an absolute Darko effect on his career where things could really go awry. Um, In my opinion, I think best case scenario for his future and NBA career is for him to go like mid to late lottery. Um, I think if he goes number one, I think he's not going to be able to live up to that draft slot. And I think it might have a really negative effect on his career, his mentality, his psyche, all those things, which is why I wrote Darko because Darko was the same thing, right? When Darko was drafted, you know, everyone thought, Oh, next Dirk, next whoever. Um, And that clearly wasn't the case. And his career took a very kind of took a nosedive. Right. And that is my fear with Buzelis. I don't want to think like, I don't want our listeners to think, that I'm saying that I think Buzelis sucks. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think where he is right now in his development, I, I don't think it's good enough for him to be in that conversation around pick number one to even number five. Like, I think he's so far away that he should be a lot lower. But like you said, Corey, he is a multifaceted player. He has a lot of skills. And, and that, that that's kind of the main reason why people are talking about him in that range. But my biggest fear is that if he goes in that range, it might ruin his whole career. So I think that he also, there is also a safety to him. And that's why we're looking at him, you know, in this range, you know, there is also like, you know, cause he can shoot. Right. And we'll start there. Like, I think he's very clearly going to be a good shooter. 
you know, like he's got a smooth stroke. He was like 40% at Sunrise Christian. He's tall. He's got a high release. Uh, I think that he's going to be a guy that you can put in catch and shoot scenarios or pick and pop scenarios, and he's going to be able to space the floor. And that could be, you know, a day one skill for him. Um, And when I talk about safety, I think a lot of that comes from that. Like he's initiating the offense here, and then he's going to go run out, and eventually he's going to be the play finisher. So, you know, there is most certainly uh, that, that, outcome and that safety where like that's a you know a great thing to have it's it's almost like you know mike dunleavy jr was the third pick in the draft right and uh he maybe isn't typically what you would expect ceiling wise from him but that was a dude who was a a real hooper who played in the nba for i don't know 15 plus years like he definitely provided that value um and i think buzelis like could ultimately provide that same value as well. But again, if he, he he does have those expectations of being the guy in this class, and I think that's waned because I think that, you know, SAR has really popped Holland absolutely popped. Like this yeah. is another guy that I, I was, I feel much better about now than I did, you know, when we did his breakdown uh, uh, earlier in the summer. Um, but with Buzelis, it's like, you know, if you're talking about safety nets after that, we'll see who stands out from the pack. Because, you know, while he isn't a guy that is like impact, like you're going to feel his presence on the court. Buzelis is a guy who like, he's probably going to be really efficient, you know, and he's going to show skills as like a, a big guy who can play with the ball in his hands. There's value and safety in that too. Yeah, Corey, I, I definitely hear that. And also like speaking to impact, like he may not be a ferocious guy, but his impact can be felt on the floor just because he might bend that defense, you know, with that shooting that you're talking about, right? Like he might be so much of a threat with his outside shot that defenses have to, you know, keep be, you know, mindful of that and obviously be, you know, more weary of that weak side and all that stuff. So I'm with you, man. Um, I just, my biggest concern was like that draft range um, for a guy like him and something, Corey, I think that we can see just from the film and, you know, we haven't talked to him, haven't even met him yet. Right. But like, he's not, um, he doesn't feel like an alpha, uh, a guy that's looking to take over games, uh, even during like Geico nationals, um, during tense moments, big moments in the game. He didn't feel like he was stepping up and, you know, asking for the ball, uh, looking to, you know, go create something, go, you know, make an impact. Um, so, you know, it, not, you know, knowing what type of character, you know, he has just, you know, that draft slot kind of made me concerned. But um, yeah, if he ends up at, I don't know, seven, nine, I, I think that would be kind of the sweet spot in my mind for him to have a little bit less of that pressure of, you know, because like a lot of it also, Corey, comes from casuals, right? Like comes from people like Stephen A. Smith, not to hate on Stephen A. Smith. Obviously, the guy, the man does incredible things, but like he's not watching these games and you know when draft time comes around he's gonna be like oh who's this Buzelis kid why is he going number one and he's gonna shit on him and then you know he's it's gonna get into Buzelis's ear and who knows like these these guys are still kids and I, I just I'm concerned about the effect that has on their psyche and stuff like that but um in terms of like his skill set and his ability on the floor Corey I'm with you this is a guy that has a lot of skills and uh can be a really interesting player if you know everything kind of pans out now the thing I'm I, I'm worried about with him is the mischaracterization of who he is. Cause I think that that's something that contributes. It's like, 
he's getting uh, characterized as a six foot, 10, 11 guy who, you know, can really handle the ball. And, and he's like a six foot, 10 guy who can handle the ball well, but he can't really handle the ball. Like he's not a ball handler. You know what I mean? Like he's a little stiff. A lot of times he's comfortable. He's not going to dribble the ball off his foot. Like he's really fluid in his movements in a straight line. But because he's a little stiff and he doesn't have that like kind of wiggly flexibility, you know, we see him thrive off plays like this where it's broken plays. He has more space because it's a broken play. And, you know, the defense isn't necessarily set. And when he's in these settings, he looks really great because he can attack in this space and see where the help is coming from. It's when the defense is set in the half court and he has to start getting a little bit more creative that he kind of starts to look like he's not the ball handler that he's being billed as. And, you know, I think that's okay for sure. Like, um, because there's still value in this, he's going to be used in um, a lot of interesting actions. He'll be used, you know, in, in DHOs. Uh, I'll pull a clip up of, of that right now. And that'll allow him to get downhill without having to create for himself because he didn't even do that at sunrise Christian where he was like going straight ISO. Like a lot of it was, you know, with a, uh, a screen or, or coming off of an uh, off ball action like this. And look, you show this clip, and you're like, oh my God, like that's at 6'11, like, you know, behind the back. And then like the footwork, the, you know, same foot, you know, the opposite foot, you know, it's, it's a really, really slick play. So like he has these moments where he does look super fluid, but he's also got this stiffness side to side that, that is where the issue comes. And, and that's why I don't think he's creative enough to be like a number one guy. But if you're slotting him in, in the back half of the top 10, it's a guy who's going to be efficient and be able to to score like this while, you know, maybe doing some other stuff. That's where I, I can see the vision for it. Mm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I hear that. I, I think for me, Corey, like something that I wrote here in my notes is even when he makes a nice move, it doesn't necessarily look that nice uh, was kind of how I felt at times, um, which here look like this move does look good. It, it does look good. I'll give him credit for that. But I just don't think it's going to happen consistently enough and like even like you compare like the the name that's going to come up a lot is franz right for a million different reason uh, different reasons right but even with franz like with franz like there is that strength and i think his physique was different from matas as well and i think there's like a change of pace um to franz that is really interesting and helps him kind of get to where he's going but with matas like i think there needs to be a lot more work and I don't know, Corey, just like going back to the Sunrise stuff, like watching his games, sometimes I'm just like, where the hell is this guy? Like, I just felt like he went MIA a lot. And I, that type of stuff scares me. And that type of stuff leads me to think like, oh, that's the Tobias Harris effect, right? You, he's more of a number two, number three guy rather than, a, rather than a guy that you're looking to kind of be the hub of your offense. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Corey. Like, I, I think they're – I'm trying to be positive, too. I, I'm not trying to hate on the kid. But, you know, Tobias Harris is a really solid NBA player that's made a lot of money in the NBA. So that's not necessarily a bad thing either. No, if you can be Tobias Harris – shout out, Long Island legend Tobias that's Harris, right. by the way. Um, then that's an incredible outcome. But you, touching on him, even at Sunrise, kind of going MIA, um, you know, there there's that lack of – 
you know, willingness to take over, dominate, to to go out. Even here in this beautiful up and under finish, he's avoiding the contact, right? We we look at some of the the sunrise clips, you know, as a finisher, you you get a little nervous. Like he's backing yeah. away from contact here. You know, like um that's Gus Yaldin. He's a big dude, <laughs> you know, at the rim. Like he's he's a guy that's gonna get in your way, but you know, he's clearly like shying away from the contact, not trying to draw fouls, not trying to be a guy who is going to get those extra points at the line. He's, you know, moving away from the defender. Um, so yeah, I, I, the concerns in that regard are legit because, you know, we see that here in, in the sunrise clips and now, you know, we go and see some of the ignite clips and he, here he is getting to the rim and, he's fading away again. So this is a trend, you know, this is, these are not isolated incidents. This is just who he is right now as a player. And it's a mentality thing, right? Like even, you know, he gets the rebound and he shies away <laughs> from the contact again there at the end. So this is, this is the mentality. And I think it's something that I don't know if it can be taught. Yeah. Yeah. And Corey, you, you the funniest thing is this clip that you're showing, I'm pretty sure this happened twice in that same game where there was one where he went up for a layup, absolutely bricked it. I think it was Almanza that grabbed the rebound for him, went up again and bricked it again. And I'm just like, and it's the same thing, right? Where he's fading away from the contact, not looking to you know, draw a foul or anything. You just go like, hey, man, um, let's. Th- that's not great. And, um, and there are a lot of different reasons for it, right? Like his physicality, you know, he, he has to bulk up a little bit. But even if he does bulk up, like if that if he doesn't have that in him, he kind of doesn't have that in him is kind of how I feel. Um, and also for a guy that is afraid of contact, I I didn't necessarily feel like I, from anything that I saw, I didn't feel like he had like a great floater or, you know, a little push shot or anything like that either, which just it's more concern. Now, look, you know, we got to balance this out a little bit. Yeah. I don't want people to get too concerned. And I think he can you know, do some nice stuff as a cutter off the ball. And I think that, you know, with all of the talent on this team, it's something that he's going to do a lot and he's going to thrive. And, you know, because we're talking and questioning the dog in him, give me that. Give me that. Let's sign the poster right now. <laughs> I'm a stay or two after. Good for you, bud. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, this is good that there's a flash here, yeah. but again, this is him coming off ball and he's loading up with momentum here, right? Like, it's not the same as him as a downhill driver. It's a little bit different in how he can how he can load up. So, I I mean, look, I, I think in these in this regard, and as an off ball guy who's going to be able to do stuff like that, I think it's great. Otherwise, I think it's going to be mostly broken plays um, in which there isn't real help at the rim because when there's help at the rim, you know. Look, we we showed it a little bit earlier. Uh, let's look at a uh, another angle from a different angle than the one we saw earlier when we were looking at it uh, as a positive for Sar. Um, you know, he's going to get stuffed at the rim twice here mm-hmm. <laughs> by Alex Sar, who's a guy that you know we were raving about. Um, so, if you think you know, we mentioned four guys like Sar, or four guys including Sar that we mentioned that have just come in in the last few years, uh, there are already a bunch of guys who protect the rim in the NBA. So I think that's going to be a major, major adjustment for, um, for Buzelis. And, you know, I, I think him getting, you know, at least 
you know, more physical guys in the G league this year, it will be beneficial for him in the long run. But, you know, he's going to have to realize he can't rely on the skill. And even if that second spin there, like that's a nifty little spin, that footwork there, you know, is sick. And if it wasn't SAR, if it was just a regular G league dude, you know, maybe he's not able to, you know, maybe he gets the second shot off even after he gets blocked. Right. And I like the mentality. All right. I got blocked, whatever. I'll still go up again. Um, but you could tell he's not moving Sar with his body there. You know, he goes into his body. He doesn't move Sar, and Sar, we said, needs to get stronger himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Puzelis really, really, really needs to get stronger and, and really focus on, like, okay, how do I handle the physicality? I, I think two things that I want to mention here, Corey. Um, first, credit to Puzelis is a good cut right here, man. Really good cut mm-hmm. there. Um, obviously, he gets blocked twice, so that sucks. But also, in that previous clip, when he goes for the poster, uh, a certain uh, Mr. Sar wasn't in the game, you know? And I think, and I, I, I'm genuinely trying not to hate, but it, it, these these are all things that I think are really important for us to note. And I think um, I'm right there with you. I think there is a, a strength and a mentality that he doesn't have. And on the other, on the other end of the, on the other side of the coin, Almanza here was a guy that I actually enjoyed watching more than Buzelis uh, in some of the games. I, I felt like the way that he was kind of throwing himself around and diving into the basket was, you know, pretty good. But um, yeah, with Buzelis, man, I, I think it's a mentality thing. I also would like to see him continue to add to his frame, which I don't think is impossible, right? Um, so I think that'll be interesting to watch and to see how he just kind of progresses through the season and how he handles more of this type of physicality. Yeah, I think he's got big, broad shoulders. So, uh, you know, I, I think the frame stuff is definitely going to come. Now, you know, the the other reason that he's getting compared, I think, to a guy like Franz um, or these jumbo creators is because people look at him as a guy who they think maybe he's going to be able to initiate offense, become a, a passer. Now, we didn't see a lot of that yeah. in these Ignite games. This is a, a pretty nifty little quick decision drop off here. Sees Sar coming over, maybe gets a little intimidated because uh, he doesn't want to get his shit sent. But uh, he's able to make that kind of you know baseline, really quick read, drop off to to Micah here. So he has some passing ability, but I don't want people to mistake it because even at Sunrise Christian, yeah. he had twenty something more turnovers than assists. So while he does show flashes of passing. Um, and I think because of his height and because he does have decent vision, I think people are going to think that that's going to be a, you know, a big part of his game. And I just don't know if it is because I don't think he's a great decision maker, even if he makes good passes sometimes. Corey, I, I just, I could, I, that was amazing. I couldn't agree with you more what you just said because <laughs> I appreciate it. The reason why I'm so low on Buzelis is because of the sunrise stuff. It's not even like the G League stuff. I'm like, I'm like reading other people talk about his playmaking, and I'm like, where the hell was that at, at sunrise? Like, I watched a ton of his games at sunrise, and I'm like, he didn't do that shit. I was like looking for it, like trying to find him being an an an. an, an initiator dear god that was hard to say um uh, a creator and it was just like i didn't see that and as you mentioned Corey, like flashes are there sure right like 
in my opinion, Corey, like you did him a great service by even showing that G League clip. Like, how impressive was that pass? It wasn't that impressive. <laughs> it wasn't he, that impressive. He was afraid of SAR, so he dumps it off to Micah, and Micah, you know, goes up for a nice lab. Good for him. He's not making the league right now. No, no hate to Eric Micah, but it is what it is. And I'm just like, I, I, I wasn't impressed at all. And like the France, the France to bother me. Okay, cool. This is a nice pass for sure. But did this happen consistently on a game to game basis? Absolutely not. So for me, I was like, please. And I wrote it in my notes, throw the Franz comparisons out. It's just not there. Like, I don't believe that at all. Like this is an anomaly. This was not the norm for him. Well, the other thing too here is that again, this is not like a set. It's not in the half court, like, or it's, you know, it's not a set play. It's not, everybody's back it's kind of semi-transition um people are trying to find their man and because he's got that height and because he does have good you know vision at times he's able to make this pass like he's he's skilled so the passes look slick when he makes them right so he sees the cut makes a good read places it in a really nice spot like there's potential there for him to be a kind of connecting piece it's when he's got to try to initiate more and not read and react. That's when I start to get worried because I think that in these more half court settings, right? So I'm going to play this, this clip here. Um, when things are slowed down, defenses are set. I think that there's a lot more struggles here. So, you know, even coming off of this off ball, you know, the DHO stuff, he doesn't really have a plan because he's not super creative with a handle. He dribbles into the defense a lot, right? Now we see like there's three blue shirts, potentially four that can crash on him. He picks his dribble up, gets stuck in no man's land, tries to force it and turns it over. So like, he doesn't always play with the kind of feel that you want from a guy who you think could be any kind of initiator. So, you know, I think the decision-making aspect is something that's going to be really, really, really important for him um, going forward, showing that he's going to be any kind of passer because one, I think that, he doesn't necessarily have the strength to get into the teeth of the defense consistently. Uh, You know, right there, he's just getting stripped and bodied up. Um, So he's turning it over there. That's not a a playmaking thing, but you know, if you're getting into the paint there and you're looking at a guy who can pass, like that's how deep you want a guy to get uh, or start to get and potentially and him put his shoulder down and then potentially hit little off, you know, realizing a guy's going to come over, dig at him, you know, little's going to be open in the corner if he doesn't lose control of the ball. Right. So these are scenarios that he's going to be presented with all the time. And it's things that he hasn't shown consistently enough yet, but maybe not looked at as a guy as a number one option. You know, Holland is is looked at as the number one option there. London Johnson's running the offense. Maybe in those scenarios, you know, he's going to be able to show a little bit more of the playmaking chops um, as a, a ancillary guy rather than the guy that was looked at as the number one option. Yeah, Corey, that's that's the most important point you made. 
he, he, I think that's where he has to land. I think we need to start looking at him as an ancillary guy, as a number three, number four option type of guy. I, and Corey, going back to what you said before, beyond just the lack of creativity in his handle, I just don't think his handle is that good. It feels really loose to me. It feels really like I, I think it's he's always in danger. Um, I feel like guys like Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart are just going to be licking their lips when he gets into an NBA game later on. Like if he's, if his handle stays the same, I, I think that type of stuff is dangerous and stuff he's going to have to tighten up. But But to counter all of what I'm saying right now, if he's not looked at as a number one option, if he is looked at as a number two, number three, number four option in an offense, right? A connector type of piece, then I think my tune would change a lot. I think the reason why I'm being so critical, the reason why I'm being so hard on him right now is because I absolutely don't think he should be viewed as a number one option. I think if an NBA team drafts him looking to make him their number one option, I think they're setting him up for failure. I, I just don't think he has that in him. Um, and I, and, I think it goes beyond the strength. It goes beyond the, the lack of creativity. I think it's everything. I think it's a mentality thing as well. For sure. And, you know, now we got to touch on the defense a little bit. And, you know, I think that it's going to be up. There's going to be up and down moments for him. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he's a, a train wreck as a defender. Yeah. But again, I think the mentality that he shows as a defender is similar to how he is as an offensive player where like there's a lack of physicality to it. And I think relying on skill a lot of time is going to be harmful um, when it comes to like guys who are like, all right, I'm just going to come at you one on one. Now, I think this is a good possession for him from a team aspect. You know, he's going to be. Um, you know, he's guys are kind of switching off. He's going to tag, uh, Sar here on the roll, get back to his man and then use his length to get a good contest. Like that's a pretty, that's a, that's a good defensive Mm -hmm. play for Buzelis there. And because he can get down in a stance, he can move his feet. He's got, you know, good length. Um, you know, like I, I think that he has potential there, but even when he's able to stay in front and I'm going to put this next clip up, he doesn't, you know, really close that the kind of distance you need. He's, he just is a little laze, you know, like just, you know, like he, he's not gonna, like if he really bodied up here and pushed and he like dictated the possession there, instead of letting the offensive player get into his chest and move him because he has the size advantage, that's a, a much tougher shot for him. It's just a little soft. Yeah. Yeah. And Corey, for me that we talked about it on the offensive side of the ball, but like, there's a real stiffness to him, man. And like, I, I think that's something, you know, I, I have stiff hips too, so I'm working on it. And I believe that he can work on it as well, but it, it's just, and I think he gets caught flat footed a lot. Um, and I think like with him, it, I think Corey, you nailed it. You nailed it on the head. You know, like I, I think it, it is a mentality thing with him. And once again, like, I, I just don't know if that gets fixed, you know, and I, I'm really trying not to be a hater, but it, it's something he's got to work on. It's something he has to improve upon. Um, I think even on the defensive side of the ball, also, he's not going to be a guy that you're asking to guard their best player every single night. 
Um, but you know, at the same time, I'm with you, Corey. I don't think he's a train wreck. I do think there, you know, are some flashes. Obviously, there was that big block that he had um, in that uh, Perth game, the second game, and so. You know, there are things that he can do with his size and his athletic ability um, with his length. But I think there is still an overall stiffness to him and also a lack of aggression that I would like to see him kind of uh, work on. Yeah. And guys are going to go at him. They're going to they're going to try. They're going to they're going to attack him. Um, Like you said, he has, you know, good tools to also kind of, you know, recover and and make up for the fact that sometimes, you know, he'll get blown by or. Um, as we'll see on this possession, he loves to bite on a good pump fake. Like that's, that's one of his favorite things is biting Mm -hmm. on pump fakes and he does it here, but because he's got good length, he's able to recover and use that length to get uh, a hand on the ball from behind there. So, you know, you know, I think he does, his size does allow him. And again, he did a good job tagging the diver there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so at least he has conceptually some stuff Mm -hmm. he's, he's picking up on. So, that's a really good sign and having these recovery tools is definitely better than not having the recovery tools. You also, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, he's had a couple of blocks at the rim and, you know, I think he's, he's going to get a, a few of those. Cause I do think he has like good timing and anticipation on, on stuff at the rim, yeah. you know, and, and using his length and being able to move like that. So, you know, he is not like without tools. He's not hopeless on that end, but, and I don't think he's going to be able, you're not going to be able to target him. Even if you go at him, you're not going to be able to target him the way you are going to be able to target a guy who's like six one, yeah. you know, but he's still got a long way to go on this end. The, all, the only thing I can think of with Bazell's, he just reminds me of like a Snapchat video. You have it for a second <laughs> and then it disappears and it's just not there anymore. Um, and, and I know that sounds harsh, but I, I also believe that that's something he can change. Like that's, in my opinion, Corey, that's up to him. Like that's not up to anything else. Like he can change that himself. He could change that narrative. He could change my mind and your mind by just doing it more consistently. And um, also I want to say, I, I love our listeners and I love the comments that you guys put in here, but saying that OKC is going to trade Josh <laughs> Lee for him is that's amazing stuff, guys. I, I hate that so much. Josh Giddy's 21, guys. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be fantastic and a big part of what OKC's doing. And I don't see Buzelis being an upgrade over Giddy at all. No, I think that was probably said a little bit in jest by our guy, Gregory Castillo. Um, but definitely shout out to to all the, the people watching live. If uh, you haven't yet, make sure that you hit the uh, like button and hit the subscribe button for the No Ceilings NBA YouTube channel because uh, we have a lot of film breakdowns, a lot of highlights, a lot of who knows what coming at you. Uh, I think there's there's going to be new shows uh, on the feed. So make sure that you're locked in to the channel by subscribing, um, and showing your support and showing up to these live streams. I know, uh, Steven and Maxwell with draft sickos have started going live on Sunday nights. Rucker and Metcalf have started going live as well. So, you know, a, a lot of our shows are, are live. You can hang out with us, you know, a few times a week live in person and, uh, participate in, you know, the conversation by, chatting along so shout out to all the listeners shout out to all the people that have been locked in with no ceilings and all of our new friends as well um because it's gonna be a fun year it's gonna be a crazy year a crazy year but just just to kind of 
close things with, with my test, Corey. Um, I do want to reiterate, I just, I feel like where he gets taken is so important to me. Obviously, I don't know, people could feel otherwise. I just worry. I'm just worried for him is what it is. It's not that I'm hating on him. I'm genuinely worried for him. I'd like to see him become a really productive NBA player, even comparing him to Tobias Harris. That guy's made millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in the NBA. And I'd love to see that happen for Matas Buzelas as well. It's just right now, from what I've seen, um, I feel like he's a bit a ways away and I'm worried about where he gets taken. But if he gets taken in a good spot, let's say he gets taken eighth in the draft, I'm going to feel a lot better for him, and I'll feel really excited for him. Yeah, he's um, – look, I think there's – I think he's an easy guy to slot into your roster. And I think that stylistically he's going to be able to fit in in a lot of places, so I don't know how many you know spots are going to be bad fits for him. Luckily – I think that if you look at, you know, all of the teams that you're anticipating probably being towards the top of the lottery, they all have, you know, their number one guy. Right. Right. Save for maybe Washington. Uh, so that would be bad. But, um, you know, like all the other teams, Detroit has Cade, right? Portland just drafted Scoot. Uh, the Rockets, who... I mean, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Shengun, Amen, Cam, like, you know, Victor and the Spurs, uh, LaMelo and Brandon Miller with the Hornets. Like, no matter where you look, teams are loaded with number one options. So I, I don't think that Matas is going to have that kind of pressure that he needs to step in and be the number one option. But like you said, draft slot does put pressure on prospects. Um, and that could affect your career because it gives you an expectation. So even though this draft is going to be talked about uh, as far as, you know, top high end talent, as if there is, uh, you know, it's weaker. And we've said that on the show, it doesn't mean the draft's not going to be fun. It doesn't mean guys aren't going to step up, but the this perception is that it's going to be a little weaker, but that doesn't, that didn't stop us from roasting Anthony Bennett. Right. Right. You know, that was a draft without a number one pick. Somebody shot their shot with Anthony Bennett. And, you know, we know how that, um, you know, we, we know how that went. So, yeah. um, you know, ultimately I think that uh, Matas is going to be a guy who thrives as, you know, that third option. And if he could be your third option as a guy who's 6'10", 6'11", who could play with the ball in his hands, make a, a connective read coming off of off ball actions cut space the floor um then i think that you're looking at a a really effective draft pick and i don't think that's a guy that you want to draft in the top three necessarily mm -hmm. but i think that that is a guy that is somebody you could draft in the top 10 and if he goes like in that eight range something like that i think that would be a great spot where he could develop at his own pace um with an organization that has a, a, a real plan for his development. So, but I think that, you know, look at it again, you look at his numbers, you look at his efficiency, even in games that he wasn't super impactful in because you didn't feel his presence the same way you felt Alex Sars, the same way you felt mm -hmm. Ron Holland. This is still a, a, a kid who shot the ball really well and had a, some really nice flashes on drives. And, you know, he, I think he's going to have a, a solid year down in the G league, which is really hard. We, you know, I mean, scoot wasn't efficient at all. You know, Jalen green wasn't efficient 
at all. Um, it, it's hard down there to, to have that solid season. I think he's got a shot at it, and that counts for something too. So it's not like he isn't a really talented guy. I don't want anyone to get that impression. It's just if we're putting expectations on him that he's going to be the number one pick, maybe because we see what Franz looks like in that role. Again, I think that that's how we get our Andrea Bargnani's. Bargnani was never going to be Dirk. Yeah. You know, and drafting just because you also wanted a big man seven footer that could shoot threes, you know, it you're you're never gonna get that carbon copy. There's so much more that goes into it than just the skill set. So anyway, I think I'm a little higher on Matas than yeah. some of the people that know ceilings are, just because I'm trying not to like lose sight yeah. of the fact that he does have no, not not even you. I think some of the other guys have also like yeah. hit the panic meter a little bit and and I think it's fair when we look at him as the number one guy, but if we're strictly going, all right, well, what if he's not a number one guy, Mm -hmm. then what? I still think there's a lot to like. No, I'm with you, Corey. Thank you, Corey. I think if anything, I think I have him where I have him right now, just almost as like a market correction type of thing. Just like wanting to set uh, expectations and standards a little bit lower to protect him, if anything. And I think that's the main thing I'm trying to portray here for our listeners is that this is not one of those things where I'm hoping he fails. It it genuinely is me being concerned for him and wanting him to reach that 1% outcome or 2% outcome, whatever, you know. And I think that outcome only happens if he isn't taken number one is how I genuinely feel. Um, and so that's kind of why I've said what I said. But overall, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you said about all his positives as well. There were flashes of all kinds of things with this game. He's a very, very talented player with multiple talents. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to close with that. All right. And that's with that said, we're back. And that was this is a return episode. We went an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> we missed it. Is what it yes, is. we did. We really, really did. And now that No Ceilings is back full-time, five days a week on the website, um, on the podcast feeds, on your YouTubes, man, it's exciting. I, you know, this is always, you know, the lead-up to the college season, the lead-up to the NBA season is always the time that there's so much anticipation. And the fact that we've just gotten some teasers with the NBL season and some of the international competition, the G League showcase, it's been a really good appetizer, and I'm ready for the main course. No, I'm with you, Corey. It's been it, this off season felt really long and longer even than the other off seasons we've had. But at the same time, Corey, like we talked about, we we kind of needed this break, um, and it's been really good being back. Congrats to you once again for becoming a ho- a homeowner. How awesome is that? Um, I maybe bought some more sneakers this summer, so I'm not doing so great. <laughs> um, but shouts to you, Corey, on being a homeowner. That's such an incredible thing to do. Uh, happy for you and your wife and your family and uh, Gypsy especially. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, Gypsy's Gypsy's stoked. She's got a lot of windows to yeah. to look out now because that's really all the only thing that cats want yeah. is to eat food and look out into the sun and scratch up <laughs> couches, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got the protection plan on the couch. Good, good. <laughs> Albert, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me uh, at Alberto uh, Gim on Twitter is where you can find me. I, I don't even know if I mentioned this last year, Corey, but during 
uh, last season, I actually hit a thousand followers on Twitter, oh, which was like a big yeah. deal for me. Like when we big first time. started no ceilings, I had like 70 followers or like a hundred. So to be at a thousand feels surreal. And I know it's like a small number, but whatever, like it's something that I've always struggled with in terms of like getting more followers. Um, but um, yeah, that was exciting. And um, you can find me on Instagram at GTG NBA as well. It's where you can find me on the uh, World Wide Web. Follow Albert if you haven't already. I mean, especially if you like, you know, English football. <laughs> if you like the draft and soccer, yeah, it's a great, it's a great follow. Uh, you can follow, you can follow me at Corey Tulliba. Uh, You can follow the No Ceilings crew at No Ceilings NBA. Again, like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that fun stuff. Until next time, thank you for rocking with us, everybody. We are out. Peace. Peace.